When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. David, who earlier tonight scored his 30th one-timer cleft bomb, rebound, score! Milan Lucic with his third career hat-trick, and it's unnatural, Hattie! Riley's going to throw, looks to the left side, throws now over the top, that is complete, across the 15 to the 10, touchdown Eskimos, Bryant Mitchell! Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Welcome to Inside Sports. Brennan Ulrich with you and for Reed Wilkins tonight. Reed Wilkins vacationing all week. He'll be back in this chair on Monday. Patrick Brower behind the glass tonight. How you doing? Sorry. Eating an apple. Eating, there you go. <laughs> well, this is sort of like uh, the start of your day, so I understand you're eating. 6 p.m., it's dinner time. Lots of people are eating. <laughs> that, well, that's true, too. Except for you. Get uh, to work. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what, when to eat right now. Like, my, my days are all screwed up hosting both shows this week, but uh, it's been fun. So we'll have some fun tonight, Patrick, once you stop, uh, once you finish your meal over there. We'll get you back on here. We have a, a jam-packed show tonight. Uh, we have Jim Matheson, Hockey Hall of Famer, himself coming up at, uh, well... Three minutes from now, maybe, he'll be on to talk about the Wayne Gretzky trade. Uh, Yes, we are talking about that again today. It is the 29th anniversary of the deal on this day back in uh, August 9th, 1988. Wayne Gretzky traded, or should I say sold, to the LA Kings. I was hosting Oilers now earlier, and a lot of people are getting after me saying, you better call this a trade, Brendan, or not a trade, call it a sale. Stop calling it a trade, so we'll call it a sale from here on out. But we'll talk to uh, Jim Matheson, who was covering the Oilers at that time. Uh, We'll get a sense from him of uh, if he thought this was coming, uh, what it was like to even cover the team the following season once Gretzky was officially on or officially dealt to L.A. Uh, The Eskimos have touched down in Ottawa for the game tomorrow night against the Red Blacks. The 6-0 Eskimos taking on the Red Blacks, who are 1-5-1. Uh, They've lost their last two games by a combined five points to uh, walk-off field goals in back-to-back weeks uh, going against Ottawa, which has led to losses. So, oh boy, they'll be uh, fired up. They need a win. They're 1-5-1. We all know uh, the tweets that Henry Burris sent out questioning the leadership of this team, and uh, you can... You would better you believe that they're going to use that for some extra motivation. That's what I would assume. We'll talk to their head coach Rick Campbell about that uh, at six thirty to see if they are uh, trying to use that as motivation. What he thought about uh, you know some of uh, the tweets from Henry Burris if he agreed or disagreed. What does he think about the character of his team here moving forward uh, with the slow start at seven o'clock? Kevin Carius will be in studio in studio from Global uh, Sports. He's in a studio every Wednesday here on Inside Sports, usually with Reed Wilkins, but he'll be with me tonight. And uh, we'll chat with Dave Campbell, Eskimos color analyst, uh, at about 7.15. 
get Dave's sense on uh, the Eskimos preparing for Ottawa here. Uh, we also have a, a baseball game tonight in Edmonton. Just after 7 o'clock, the Edmonton Prospects are hosting Medicine Hat in Game 3 of their second round of Western Major Baseball League series. Uh, so Game 3 going tonight in Edmonton. That series tied at one game apiece. It's a best of five. Games 3 tonight and uh, tomorrow Games 4 here in Edmonton. So we'll set the scene for that one uh, at 7.30. Local drivers Ian Admiral and Kelly Admiral with Admiral Racing will both be in studio to talk about the Blackjacks 200 this weekend at the Edmonton International Raceway in Wetaskiwin. So a lot going on tonight on Inside Sports, but we kick things off with Jim Matheson from the Edmonton Journal. Jim, welcome back to Inside Sports. Uh, before uh, we get you on, let's just press that button. Jim, welcome back. How are you doing? Pretty good, Reed. Pretty good, uh, Brennan. Really good. Yeah, uh, you said Reed there, uh, but you, I know you meant me. Uh, you were recently... Oh, no, I, you, we were talking earlier. We were talking about Reed, yeah. Reed his golf game, so that's why I, was, I had Reed on the line. <laughs> well, yeah, Reed was telling me about uh, you guys were golfing together the other day, and he told me you shot an 82, which is pretty impressive. Is that about normal for you? Uh, it used to be before I got old. Yeah, uh, not anymore, no. <laughs> well, what's uh, normal for you these days? That's pretty impressive, I'll say that myself. I, I mean, that's yeah. a lot better than I could do. I would say 85 to 90, yeah. Still pretty good, still pretty not, good. Not 82, not 82 <laughs> for sure. Now, do you, how, how often do you golf a week, or, I mean, how long have you been golfing for? Uh, since I was uh, about 10 years old, so uh, 58 years. Wow. Never had a hole in one. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I just uh, saw a tweet from Cam Connor. He almost had a hole in one. He tweeted a picture of it. So that that, that made me think of that when uh, you well, say I that. Yes, but I would be doing tweeting a picture of an almost hole in one because. <laughs> I've not had one, so. Well, if you're shooting 82, that's still pretty good. Um, what about Reed? What kind of golfer is Reed? Uh, Reed is much better than he thinks he is, to be honest. I think he's quite good because he hasn't played all that long. And um, he's got, he looks like he's got some athletic ability, unlike a lot of us media guys. So <laughs> I'm sure that he'll, he'll keep getting his score on. <laughs> yeah, he's very hard on himself. I know he always comes in. He's like, oh. I just would have did this better or that better. I would have been better on the round today. I know he loves golf, but he takes it to heart quite a bit. Well, you can't be good at golf if you're only going to play once a week or twice a week. You know, you don't get much better. So he's going to have to uh, either join a golf club, you know, or play four times a week before you get much better. So well, that's true. But it's a great time. Um, yeah. Well, I wanted to get you on here to talk a little bit about Wayne Gretzky. Um, of course, you were one of the only guys covering the team at the time when he was traded 29 years ago today. Um, I mean, it's sort of silly, I guess, to be bringing this up every year on this day. But, you know, it was a big trade, uh, one of the biggest in hockey history, if not well, obviously the biggest in hockey history, if not the biggest in sports. Um, but for you to be covering the team at the time, I mean, this day comes around every year. What, what comes to mind when uh, you think back to that day? Uh, I had a dentist appointment, and uh, um, I was in the dentist chair when when the uh, the news was coming down that he was traded for this guy and that guy and this guy and that guy. And I had a story in the paper already that he was getting traded to L.A. and tried to get the particulars in it. But my dentist didn't care one bit about my teeth. He just wanted to know all the particulars of the trade and what kind of guy Pockington was and all sorts of stuff. My mouth was full of freezing and I couldn't even talk, never mind uh, 
tell them what the trade was about. But yeah, that, that was what I remember. And then the press conference later that day was was a total joke uh, at Molson House. The uh, Peter Plockington or the other is one of the other had hired a PR firm and to run the press conference and they I think I've told the story before but they made sure there were only 10 questions from the from the assembled media sitting uh, uh, watching Gretzky on the stage with Pockington so 10 questions for uh, you know, 10 years of Wayne Gretzky was a little cheated uh, us all I think yeah, no kidding. That sounds pretty lame, actually. We're all trying to get it. We're all trying to think to ourselves, okay, what's the one question I want to ask? You know, if I can get my hand up quick enough to get the question. And, uh, you know, we you know, we had a photographer in those days, too, and he, he got one of the questions, and his he didn't have a question. He just wanted to thank Wayne for all the great pictures he'd taken over the years, you know, for all the great highlights. And, made it the photographer's job easy but that was called one of the questions so we were as I recall we were all yelling at the at the photographer that wasn't a question that was a statement so that didn't count as a question so well you you had you mentioned you had your story in the paper already uh, ready to go um what was the headline that you went with because uh, we're, I mean I'm sure a lot of people are upset you know fired up and you wanted to try to capture this the best you could as a writer and reporter do you remember the headline you went with to sort of describe the I trade I don't recall the headline I remember thinking it was like Mona Lisa you know um, being sold you know and it wasn't a trade it was a sale and it was masquerade as a trade and it was a sale and uh, um, Peter wanted the $15 million, every bit as much as Jimmy Carson, I guarantee you. So, you know, and go and say they did the best job he could to get, you know, uh, Carson and Martin Jellin had just been drafted by LA and uh, the three first round draft choices too. So, but, you know, people forget that the owners also had to send them Mike Kruzelniski, who'd won a couple of Stanley Cups with the owners. And uh, and Mc, Marty McSorley, who had also done the same. So, um, you know, it it wasn't the best day I've ever had. You know, it was one of those ones where you, now nowadays these trades happen all the time, and you just kind of shrug and say, "Oh well, okay, if Wayne Gretzky got traded, anybody could get traded." But when back in that day, when the greatest player who ever lived got traded, you were, you, you know, it wasn't much fun writing the story. I can I can tell you that because, you know, we got to see Wayne every day for 10 years. And then, you know, he's getting traded to, while it was a rival in LA, they're only coming into town a couple of times a year to play the Oilers. And, you know, as it turned out, they played the Oilers in the playoffs too, but you don't get to see the greatest player um, every day. And for, you know, 82 games a year, you're only getting to see him four or five times a year, so you're getting cheated as a fan and as a reporter. What was it like to, you know, follow the team the next year after this happened? Because I know the Oilers were able to rebound and win the Stanley Cup in 1990, but I mean, that must have been tough. You know, what was the mood like sort of around the, the team, the fans, and just the, uh, you know, the day-to-day grind of covering the team after this trade, uh, you know, went down? Um, it, well, it I know one thing, when the owners went on the road, there wasn't the same furor um, 
uh, with the fans and the media, all the orders are coming to town, whether it was Toronto or an American city like New York or wherever, because Gretzky wasn't there anymore. So the Oilers traveling troupe, the circus, whole circus atmosphere that was there when Wayne Gretzky was on the team was lost because now he was playing in L.A. So that part of it was different. Um, I, I sensed, and while the Oilers won't say it, I sensed a, let's see if we can win without Wayne, uh, attitude um, because as good a team as the Oilers had and you know six Hall of Famers and stuff it was still Wayne Gretzky was the was the beacon and you know to a lot of people outside of Edmonton you know they figured the Oilers won because they had Wayne Gretzky and the other pieces of the puzzle while good were not Wayne Gretzky so you know I sensed that that next year that they were trying really hard too uh, prove that they could maybe win without Wayne, and uh, they certainly didn't because they went out, you know, early. And uh, but they did win in 1990. So, yeah, and you know, it was good and bad um, for the team. But I also think that that forced some of the other players like Mark Messier and and uh, you know Glenn Anderson and Gary Curry and and um, Kevin Lowe and stuff to take on a larger role. Um, it's more of a collective, I think, than, than uh, Wayne Gretzky as the band leader. And uh, they won in 1990, and I think of all the Stanley Cup, of all the five cups they won, that was the one, I think, that caught everybody off guard that they, you know, within two years came back and still won the Stanley Cup. Chatting with uh, Jim Matheson here, the Hockey Hall of Famer, NHL by Maddie on Twitter. If you want to give him a follow, um, yeah. So let's fast forward here to the to the now. I mean, that was then. Um, the Oilers now have Connor McDavid. Wayne's back in the organization. Uh, so it's amazing how things uh, you know happen and how it comes full circle eventually. Even though it's 29 years later, right now, but with Wayne in the organization, McDavid in the system here. Uh, things are good once again for the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, I don't think we're ever going to see anything like that here with Connor now that he's, uh, you know, under contract for the next nine seasons. Uh, I don't think so. It's interesting to see Wayne Gretzky around so often. When he retired, uh, he would drop by Edmonton every now and then, and it was almost like you saved up your questions to talk to Wayne, or if something happened in the league, you you know you would phone him on the phone. But now that he's around all the time, it's like, you know, you know what do you ask him? You know, <laughs> he's here all the time now. I mean, so it's just like part of the team, part of the team. So, and it, you know, I I think the the personalities of Gretzky and McDavid are very similar. At the, at the same age, um, quiet, uh, show it on the ice, don't show anybody up, uh, don't say things that are going to come back to hurt you, uh, or, you know, to, to sully your reputation. And, you know, Wayne found that out when he, you know, said that the New Jersey Devils are a Mickey Mouse organization after the others beat him 13 4 because they left Ron Low and Gold for too long. and that came back to, you know, hurt Wayne. I thought it was a very honest comment. And at the time, 
you know, 13-4. It didn't look like Jersey did have much of an organization, but Wayne, you know, watched himself uh, in terms of being that outlandish after that. But I think with Gretzky in Edmonton, I think, and around as much, I think Connor McDavid can certainly learn um, how to treat everybody the same, and that's what Wayne did. And I think, I think eventually, Connor will get his own voice. I think he's he's pretty pretty politically correct now. He's very <clears throat> very polite, and he answers the questions. Um, but I think he's pretty politically correct. I think in time, in a couple of years, when he's a little bit older, he'll get his own voice more and be able to talk more about not just things, you know, with the Oilers, but things around the NHL too, as befitting the best player in the league. And I think that's what people are interested in too, not just what he thinks about the Edmonton Oilers, but he's usually, the best players usually got an opinion about what's going on in the NHL too, and I think Connor will will find that in time. Uh, let me ask you if you're hearing anything on Leon Drysettle here, Jim. Things are quiet, so we're fishing for uh, information. Um, have you heard anything? What do you think the number will be when uh, this all gets said and done? Well, his agent's not returning in any texts or emails, so his agent might leave, so I don't know. I think... You know, in Leon's case, the Oilers have the leverage here. The Oilers had no leverage with Connor. Um, when you win the scoring title and you're the Hart Trophy winner, um, and if not the best player in the game, the second best player in the game with Sidney Crosby, you're getting tons of money. You know, and in Leon's case, um, the Oilers still have the leverage. Uh, there's no arbitration. Uh, for him yet and I think you know as the summer has gone on I think other players have got signed and that's kind of been a bar that the Oilers can use you know a comparable and the number one comparable that jumps to my mind is Ryan Johansson who signed in Nashville he's their number one center he's you know certainly older than Leon Dreisaitl and he got eight years eight million so if Leon wants eight years, um, eight million to me would seem to be the ceiling for the Edmonton Oilers. Um, if he wants a shorter term contract, um, you know, two years or so, I can see him thinking, well, okay, six million, the same six million that Ryan Nugent Hopkins is getting, you know. But the Oilers might say to him, or to Mike Leute, well, Nikita Kucherov, who got 85 points last year and 40 goals, is making 4.67 million, and uh, just turned 24, and he's got 225 points the last three years. So he took probably a hometown discount in in, uh, in Tampa Bay, but he's a great player and he's making 4.67 million. So. There's a lot of difference between 4.67 million and 8 million, so somewhere in between is probably where it would be. The thing that bothers probably all of us is we all know that Leon wants to be an Oiler. He loves being an Oiler. Um, it's not like he's standing up on a soapbox and says, "If you don't give me this, I'm going somewhere else." He wants to be an Oiler. So why is it taking so long? You know, it's like the Johnny Goodrow thing a couple of years ago. You know, 
Yeah. He's no, it's fair to question player. that, yeah. He's a hockey player, so now they're going to drag this out till late August to training camp? Why? What for? And, you know, and if Leon can't get what he thinks he should get on a long-term deal, just sign a two-year contract. He's only 21 years old. Sign a two-year contract and uh, let's go. But that's not the way it works in negotiations. And, and uh, you know, I... I can see where he's coming from. He, he's probably thinking, okay, Connor's making 12 and a half, so um, I'm not Connor McDavid, but I don't want to take a whole lot less than that. But when other players are signing for eight years, at, you know, like Johansson at eight million a year, that kind of is a comparable. So um, it makes it more difficult if you're the agent trying to negotiate with the orders. And, um, you know, like I said, the orders have the leverage here. They didn't have the leverage with Connor McDavid. So Peter Shirelli is pretty, pretty good negotiator. So hopefully, you know, before training camp anyway, they get it done. That's the Hockey Hall of Famer Jim Matheson with some input there on the whole Leon Drysettle contract situation. Uh, no news on that front, but I did chat with uh, John Shannon earlier on Oilers Now, and he remains confident the deal will get done. No worries, he says on that front, and he's very dialed in to the Oilers organization. It's uh, 627 in Edmonton. Thomas Dias has your 630 news. When we come back, we will chat with the head coach of the Ottawa Red Blacks, Rick Campbell. <laughs> Hi, this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Ryan Nugent Hopkins bringing us back. This is Inside Sports. Brendan Ulrich with you. Patrick Bauer behind the glass tonight. We've heard from Jim Matheson so far. Remembering the Wayne Gretzky trade 29 years ago to this day. You want to chime in? Where were you when it happened? Text us 630-630. We are going to move on to some football talk here in this segment. Uh, We will be joined by Ottawa Red Blacks head coach Rick Campbell here shortly. Uh, The Red Blacks should be fired up for this one as the Eskimos come to town. Uh, The Eskimos banged up. We all know that. They released their uh, depth chart today. And uh, more of the same for the green and gold in terms of those injuries. We'll recap uh, what the depth chart looks like here in a second. I lost my sheet that actually had all uh, the news and notes that uh, came from that release of that depth chart. So we'll just pull up Dave Campbell's Twitter account here because I know he was uh, tweeting out some stuff earlier. Here's what we know. Brandon Zilstra, Danny Grew, Justin Sorensen are all out tomorrow. They are on the one-game injured list. Receiver Duke Williams will uh, be back on the 46-man roster, but he is listed uh, behind, or listed third at field wideout behind uh, Getzlav, and uh, that's 89-8, so it doesn't look like he's going to play. Um, He'll be in the mix, but you know, they have the ratio stuff as well going on. Uh, so we'll see if he actually gets in or not. But he is on the roster. So that's good news uh, with Zilstra being out. But the O-line is banged up, losing Gruel and Sorensen for tomorrow. Uh, the Eskimos will get Gary Peters back. He's, uh, or rather, he is on the one-game injured list. So he's out. But the offensive line will look like this, according to Dave Campbell. The Eskimos will start three Americans, Figueroa, Kelly at tackles, and Batiste at right guard, O'Donnell at left guard, and Beard at center. Beard came in uh, against Hamilton for Sorensen last Friday and did a decent job. The Eskimos O-line, though, by the end of that game had nothing left. 
Uh, they held up long enough for the Eskimos to win that game. But overall, uh, with all the injuries, the fact that Ottawa's fired up, I don't like uh, the Eskimos' chances in this one. Now, I don't want to count them out because it seems like if you do that, they, they prove you wrong, and they've done that so far this season. And I actually predicted the Eskimos to go 12-6 and six at the start of the season, so I think I was a bit more optimistic than some of uh, the people out there making those type of predictions. So for me to say the Eskimos are going to lose tomorrow, I think uh, that doesn't make me a hater or anything. I just sort of feel like the perfect storm is uh, brewing in this one for the Ottawa Red Blacks. But Jason Moss had this to say today about his team being ready to go. Short turnaround on the road here. Uh, with all the injuries, Moss says the Eskimos will be ready. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're more battle-tested, I think, than anybody in our league. Just been looking at our games, the type of games we've played, the fact that we've had, had, had multiple people step up and play and the situations our guys have been put in throughout games and come through. I mean, we're as battle-tested as anybody, and if not more so, I believe, than anybody. Um, and it, this game will not be any different. You know, with the lineup changes again, it makes us look vulnerable to everybody else. I don't see the vulnerability. That's Jason Moss. I would say the biggest loss for the Eskimos is Brandon Zilstra, but just a one-game uh, type situation for him. I think Bowman's close to returning as well, so the Eskimos okay on offense. Will the O-line hold up, though? I guess that'll be the biggest story for the Eskimos um, tomorrow night in Ottawa. That was the Eskimos head coach, Jason Moss. We now turn our attention to the head coach of the Ottawa Red Blacks. Ottawa in uh, you know a bit of hurt right now. After that loss to Winnipeg, a walk-off field goal, they blew a late lead in that one. Um, that led to Henry Burris tweeting out some things about that group. Henry Burris, of course, leading Ottawa to a great cup last year, but uh, he has retired. He's now a member of the media, and he was somewhat questioning the leadership. Some of the players on that team saying they need to step up. So let's find out what Rick Campbell thinks about all that and where his team is at here. Uh, we bring aboard Rick Campbell, the head coach of the Ottawa Red Blacks. Rick, welcome back to Inside Sports. How are things going? Um, well, our record's not what we want it to be, but uh, we still think we have the makings of a competitive team. And, um, you know, all these games are big for us, and so we're looking forward to get going uh, against Edmonton. Yeah, absolutely. Still a lot of football to be played this season. Um, I'm sure you want to, you know, flush last week out of the system, but at the same time, um, I'm sure you're looking at uh, these close games and saying, oh, man, we were so close. What's uh, the difference here? What can we do differently to, to get a win in the end? And you look at the Eskimos, your opponent this week, they've been in a number of close games as well, Rick, but they've sort of uh, been able to close them out. So you look at what happened against Winnipeg, uh, the second straight walk-off field goal loss for your team. What sort of needs to change, I guess, for you guys to come out on the other end of uh, the spectrum? Yeah, you're exactly right. We're kind of the polar opposite of Edmonton right now as they're finding ways to win close games, and they deserve full credit for that. Uh, we're not getting it done. Um, what The two things we need to do is, uh, one, we've had some self-inflicted wounds where we've turned the ball over kind of unforced errors. Um, just like the game in Edmonton, we were beating Eskimos, and then uh, we, gave them a, we gave them a touchdown. Well, they earned it at the... Uh, kind of an unforced error that changed the momentum. And then the other thing is every single one of our games have come down to the literally the last series of the game. And, um, you know, we either need our defense to get a stop and get off the field or our offense to stay on. And uh, we haven't been doing that, and we're working hard to make sure that happens. And it's a combination of uh, 
coaches making sure we're making good calls, putting the players in good position, and then the players uh, stepping up and making a play, and then uh, we'll be feeling different about ourselves. Well, I wanted to ask you about the Henry Burris comments because you did say, uh, you know, these games are coming down to the wire, final play here. If you make a play, maybe you win the game. So maybe that stemmed uh, into what uh, Burris was talking about. I'm not sure what you think of them, but as a coach, is this something maybe you can sort of uh, use as uh, motivation, maybe something you can look at and say, okay, you know what, let's uh, turn this in around right now and prove to the world that uh, we have the right guys in this locker room. I mean, you guys are coming off a great cup win, so I'm sure you're really confident confident in who you have but for whatever reason just hasn't went your way so far this year yeah um no we don't need that for motivation and i don't agree with um that whole episode it wasn't exactly what henry meant but um we actually have quite a few good leaders and um, our guys have been great it's more a matter of uh just like i said making a play at the end of the game um, but I'm very comfortable with our uh, our leadership and our guys. And um, you learn a lot about people when you face adversity. And when you're losing, it's it's real easy to be on a winning team because everybody's happy and people on the outside are patting you on the back. It's when you're losing that you, you learn what people are about. And uh, our guys haven't complained. Um, they don't point fingers. They don't blame other people. Um, they continue to work, and they know that we need to get better. And... Uh, like I said, and, and you said, there's a lot of football left ahead of us, and so we need to keep working at this thing because if we can win a couple close games, all of a sudden we're going to be uh, feeling different about ourselves. Talking with Ottawa Red Blacks head coach here, Rick Campbell on Inside Sports. Yeah, let's talk about your quarterback, Trevor Harris. I mean, he's uh, you know he has good numbers this season, but the wins haven't been there for your football team. Um, but at the same time, he's still uh, relatively a young quarterback in terms of being a starter here in the CFL. Uh, but he can, I mean, he has all the tools. We know we've seen that before from him. And in stretches this season, he's looked great as well. I mean, you look back to that opening drive against Winnipeg last week. He was sensational there, uh, completing every pass. And you guys scored uh, a touchdown in that game. So with him, uh, where do you think his game is at? And where does it need to get to for your team to take another step here this season? Well, he's playing well enough for us to win, and uh, I'm glad he's on our team. He's uh, um, He has some traits of Mike Riley. I'm a big Mike Riley fan, too. Was, um, just hardworking guys that show up every day in battle. And um, he, he does that. Our players believe in him. He, we won a lot of important games last year when Henry was down with Trevor as our quarterback. Um, so he's he would tell you he needs to play better, and we all want to be better, but... Uh, um, he's um, he's a guy we can win with, that's for sure. Well, you hit on Mike Riley, and I know you've been a defensive coordinator uh, for a long time in uh, this league, uh, Rick. Um, so, you're, I mean, when it comes to trying to plan against this guy right now, you did see him a few weeks ago, but it seems like this season he's a little more calm. He seems a little more mature uh, in terms of Mike Riley. Maybe Jason Moss has helped him being a former quarterback uh, in that area. But when you just look at him right now, what are the challenges that he presents as a quarterback when you're trying to game plan against him? Well, originally he went to Washington State University, so that automatically makes him good. That's where I went to school. <laughs> yeah. so I'll, I'll, I'll put a plug in for the Cougars. Perfect. Um, anyways, uh, he uh, he's a you know he's a he's kind of an old school quarterback that uh, battles and always finds a way to get it done. Um, you know, he's obviously can throw the ball. He's a pocket passer. I 
you know, we were watching film of the opening play against BC, the game there in Edmonton, and I think he threw the ball is probably 70 yards in the air. So, you know, obviously he's got the arm to do it. And then the, the thing that's a pain in the butt for the defense is when the, if a play breaks down for the offense, then the QB can improvise and use his feet and scramble around and make something out of nothing. Um, that's what's always discouraging for a defense. And Mike has that uh, quality too. So we we just need to make sure we uh, keep pressure on him, get some hits. We were able to do that in Edmonton and then uh, keep changing up the coverages. So, um, he's not comfortable, and uh, that's what we'll be shooting for to do. I know you, uh, just to follow up on game plumbing against this Eskimos group right now, this group has changed a lot. I mean, a few short weeks ago when you play them, they just have had so many injuries. Is it sort of difficult to, you know, look at the tape in that game, or do you guys just, you know, you know Mike Riley, you know some of these guys from the past, but how do you sort of plan when there's all these uh, injuries and it's sort of a different football team that you're playing uh, uh, tomorrow night? Yeah, it does. It's, uh, you're right. They've had some injuries. Um, they, they're doing what they do on defense. Their front's good, so the, they kind of turn their D line loose and uh, let the guys in the back end play coverage. So they're pretty consistent with what they're doing on uh, defense, and it's working. So I, I would imagine they'll stick with it. And then on offense, um, you know, Mike Riley's the guy that makes it go. Obviously, they have talented players and. And that, uh, but uh, I still think they're going to run their offense and do what they do, and uh, um, we're going to have to line up and uh, and uh, defend them, no matter who's playing. Well, on offense, you guys have a skilled receiver in Greg Ellingson. I want to ask you uh, what he's been like to work with as the coach in Ottawa. Um, I mean, he's really become the last few seasons maybe one of the best, if not the best, receiver here in the Canadian Football League. So, what's it like to work with him on a regular basis? Um, he's a, he is a, when they, people talk about a, a guy being a pro guy, is he is a guy comes to work every day, um, very consistent, um, works hard in practice. You can tell he loves playing the game. I know that sounds like a simple statement, but there's some guys that truly love to compete every day, whether it's practice or a game. And he's one of those guys. And, um, he stepped up and made uh, some uh, huge plays for us over the past few years, and he just seems to keep getting better and better. He's been in the league a few years, but I think he's right in his prime right now, and uh, we're glad we have him. Yeah, leading uh, the CFL right now in receiving yards with 702 on the season. SJ Green in second with 673. Uh, so he's been sensational. Um, not a lot of changes, I guess, for your football team this week, uh, Rick. Uh, I know on uh, running back, uh, Madu is coming in, though, for Powell. Um, maybe just talk about the uh, makeup of your group heading to this team, or heading to this game, rather. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um... Yeah, we've uh, we're fortunate to have a couple good running backs in William Powell and Moses Madu, and um, also Brendan Galanders is another uh, guy that we've had that's a good player. So um, they've been doing a good job at uh, at running back, and then, you know the injuries are always a part of football. You hope you have as much continuity as you can so that you can uh, keep growing and and doing that, um, and that's what uh, that's what we'll be striving for. Uh, just before we let you go, um, I want to ask you about uh, the new uh, challenge system in the CFL. Uh, week one in under the belt in terms of this new rule, CFL limiting teams to uh, just one challenge per game. Uh, one week in, your thoughts on it so far? 
Um, I think it's going to be good. I've always been a guy on the side of I'm for less challenges. In fact, if they told me that challenges were gone altogether, I wouldn't have a problem with it. So, um, but I'm good with one. I think I think once everyone gets used to it, I think it could be a good thing. It might make the challenges even more exciting, and that uh, coaches are really going to have to think through when they're going to use it. You know, it's going to have to be a game-changing moment, and you're going to have to be sure about it. So. I'm hoping it makes challenges more exciting. I I never liked the idea of uh, you know all, you know coaches and players on the sideline. We have iPads and TVs and stuff, and having people fish for illegal contact and all that. I don't think that's what football's about. I don't think the fans, coaches, players, anybody like that. So um, I'm for it. I'm hoping uh, I'm hoping it works out, and I think that it will. Well, um, you mentioned old school football. That must be that must come from the old man. I, I take it. Hey, so you <laughs> growing up with him? What, you you well, like the old no, school I, style? I don't, no, I just I'm, I mean I'm forgetting the calls right. I just uh, you know the challenge system. It's it's a work in progress, and I just don't want to push it too far before we're comfortable with it. And um, you know I don't know. If, I, I want to get every call right, but I don't want to get every call right at. Uh, um, at the expense of the flow of the game and uh, thinking things through too much. So um, I think part of sports is what people like is that a mistake's going to happen, whether that's by a coach, a player, or the ref. It's it's like real life. It's uh, it's not perfect, and that's what makes it exciting. And uh, you, know, you hope the refs get as many calls right as they can so that it doesn't wreck the game. And with that one challenge floating there, is, uh, you, know, you have the opportunity to get a game-changing play right and so uh i'm hoping it's going to be in a good place with just one challenge well said well thanks for taking some time here rick Uh, i know the people in edmonton love hearing from you uh but i don't know if they're cheering for you tomorrow night uh but best of luck i that's all right i'll always be a fan of edmonton i grew up there a lot of my life so always have a fond uh, place in my heart for edmonton but uh gonna go try to beat those eskimos that is uh, Rick Campbell, head coach of the Ottawa Red Blacks. Won five and one so far in the season. They have just three points, but the good news for Ottawa is Toronto only has six. So, I mean, they can make up some. They can make a move here if uh, they win. Montreal loses. They're past Montreal in the second. So, despite all the struggles this season, this could be a turnaround game for the Red Blacks and the Eskimos. Will try and continue their historic start here to the year. First time they've started a season 6-0 since 1961. Uh, Calgary, though, this is the thing. I mean, I know the Eskimos have all these injuries. Uh, They continue to pile up. It's going to be difficult to continue uh, what they're doing. But if they want to win the the division and the West and get home field advantage uh, here in the playoffs over Calgary, they need to keep on winning because Calgary keeps on winning as well. Of course, they have the two Labor Day games coming up, so that could tell the story in terms of that battle for first in the West. It's uh, 6.52 in Edmonton. You're listening to Inside Sports. Brendan Ulrich with you. We've heard from Jim Matheson. We've heard from uh, Ottawa Red Blacks head coach Rick Campbell. When we come back, we'll hear from Orv Franchuk. He is the director of baseball development, assistant coach for the Edmonton Prospects. This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Brendan Ulrich on 6:30. Chad. I was like, what? 
Did you do that there, Patrick? That one's just for you, man. Wow. Yeah, I put that together on the fly here. That's awesome. <laughs> I was worried. I was playing some, trying to edit some things here in the studio before. I was like, did I actually play something? Then I was like, oh, nope. okay. That's nice. just for you. We're going to need it this week. Nice work. Thanks for doing that, man. Yes, Reed's on holidays. He's away for the week, so it's all uh, me, and uh, you'll be around as well, Patrick, I believe, on Friday. Are you working the game tomorrow as well? I am as well. Yeah, I'll be here every evening, so. Awesome stuff. Yes, the Eskimo is in uh, Ottawa to kick off, uh, what is it, week eight in the CFL season? Short turnaround. Uh, we'll have that for you live here on 630 Ched tomorrow night. We'll talk with uh, Dave Campbell shortly. He's uh, out in um, Ottawa for the game. But right here in Edmonton right now, there is a big baseball game about to get started. Uh, the Edmonton Prospects hosting Medicine Hat in their second-round series. Uh, it's tied 1-1. They won 9 nothing in Medicine Hat last night. Game 3 goes tonight here in Edmonton. They're looking for something to do. The game starts just after 7, so head on out. But uh, here's Orr Franchuk with the Edmonton Prospects on what to expect tonight. Cool guys in the from the area, and we've got uh, you know our roster is basically all Canadian kids, and uh, uh, Medicine Hat's got 17 or 18 American guys, which you know is kind of uh, a challenge for our guys. That's something that we kind of look forward to, uh, in kind of being the underdog a little bit. But uh, we can play with, with, with uh, we played Okotoks had the same thing with their American guys and. And uh, we were successful, and we feel like we're as good as they are, and uh, we'll see what happens after uh, after this series is over. That's game three tonight, game four going in Edmonton tomorrow night as well. Game five, if necessary, we'll be back in Medicine Hat. A quick look at uh, Yardatown scoreboard brought to you by Action Furnace. Home of the fixed right or its free guarantee. Visit actionfurnace.ca. The Toronto Blue Jays hosting the Yankees right now uh, in Toronto. The Yankees up 6-3. Uh, what else is going on in the baseball world? Uh, we have Boston up 6 nothing right now on Tampa Bay. I know the Rays are in a fight for that final wild card spot in the AL. NFL preseason action tonight going on. Uh, Carolina hosting the Houston Texans. Carolina up 17-7 right now on Houston. Deshaun Watson making his uh, NFL preseason debut for Houston. Christian McCaffrey looking good right now for the Carolina Panthers. If you're looking to... uh, Get your fantasy football team going. Christian McCaffrey off to a hot start here in the preseason in PPR leagues. He should be a beast for the Panthers this year. All right, that's uh, 6.58 here in Edmonton. We will uh, take a time out for the 7 o'clock news with Thomas Dias. When we come back, Kevin Carius from Global Edmonton Sports will join us in studio. We have Dave Campbell ahead as well in the next half hour. That's ahead on Inside Sports.